Some stories are so well known that we can't even say when we first heard them. For many of us, these include the stories of King Arthur, the Knights of the Round Table, the Holy Grail, and the Sword in the Stone. Or was it a sword in a lake? Even in these stories that so many of us know, we can't seem to always agree on the details. With a story like King Arthur's, this can be traced to many versions being told over centuries. Yet some thematic elements hold true across them all. One symbol which is important across all tellings is Arthur's sword, commonly known as Excalibur. Across these legends, the sword both validates Arthur's rule and helps him to enforce it. By understanding the medieval symbolism behind the weapon, we can better understand the timeless principles behind Arthur's leadership. My name is Sean. Welcome to Mythos and Logos. The young Arthur does not know that he is the heir to a throne. Though he is the son of King Uther Pendragon, Arthur is taken by the wizard Merlin to live in secret with the nobleman Sir Ector. So, when King Uther dies, a prophecy by Merlin tells that a sign of a new ruler will come by Christmas. But Christmas comes, and there's still no clear heir. That is, until those leaving Mass at one great cathedral see that a huge marble stone has appeared in the courtyard, with a sword with a golden inscription lodged into it. The bishop, likely the only literate person around, reads the writing, that whoever can remove the sword from the stone is chosen by God to be king. The high nobles, convinced of their greatness, try and fail to raise the sword. Despite this, the season's festivities continue as planned, and on New Year's Day, Sir Ector brings Arthur and his brother Kay to a jousting tournament in the city. But Kay is the type of person to lose their car keys when they're already running late, only when they arrived as he realized that he left his sword at home. Arthur volunteers to search for a replacement while Hector and Kay continue on. He finds, of course, the sword in the stone, pulling it out effortlessly, and brings it to Kay. When Sir Hector reads the inscription, he tells Arthur the truth, that he is the son of the king and is destined something greater. But Arthur's greatness is due to much more than just royal blood. After all, while the nobles try for their own glory, Arthur takes the sword to help his brother, not himself. So when he is recognized as the rightful king and is sworn in by the bishop, Arthur offers the sword up on the altar before he is crowned. In this act, Arthur dedicates his rule to something higher than himself. 
We can already see the blueprint for leadership that Arthur will leave behind. A legacy of serving the lesser in dedication to something greater. Now, it's all too easy to overlook the details in stories we've heard before, so it's worthwhile to ask, why a sword? There were many weapons in medieval times, and a warrior king could feasibly use any of them. Understanding why Arthur uses a sword can tell us more about him as an ideal leader. In medieval times, blunt weapons like clubs and maces were common, and especially effective against suits of armor. This type of weapon required great strength to use effectively. Think of the mighty Thor with his hammer. But heavy swings can be reckless. Thor has never been the most careful god, after all. On the other hand, a Dagger requires more finesse, but is only useful at very close range or as part of a sneak attack, not very honorable. A bow is useful from afar, but rather impersonal. A sword, however, is a hero's weapon for a one-on-one skillful duel. Don't believe me? Listen to how a more modern legend describes it. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Now, there is clear Arthurian influence here, and not only because the Jedi are called knights. Arthur's sword, like Luke's lightsaber, speaks to his character. Both men must refine their skills and confront their problems head-on, not from a distance. While characters like Han Solo or Robin Hood use wit and cunning to solve problems, In the case of a swordsman, like Luke or Arthur, there is no substitute for dedicated training. Symbolically, Arthur being crowned with a sword shows the way in which he, as the ideal king, must act with equal parts courage and finesse in his role. Now that we've looked into the symbolism of the sword and the stone, we can return to the story, because, as we've hinted, it isn't Arthur's only sword. During one tense duel, Arthur's sword shatters, and he's saved at the last second by Merlin. The wizard then brings Arthur to a strange place where he meets a strange woman. I've asked my friend Anna Bridgeland to research the Lady of the Lake and tell you a bit about what happens next. She studies folklore on her YouTube channel, and I think you will really enjoy her work, which is why I've decided to ask her to help in this one. So Anna, take it away. Hi, I'm Anna Bridgeland, and I run a YouTube channel on folklore, mythology, myths, legends, and fairy tales, and put out a video about every week. 
I want to say a big thank you to Sean for having me here on his channel to discuss The Lady of the Lake in a little bit more detail. And if you're interested, you can head over to my channel and check out my video that focuses solely on The Lady of the Lake. What makes The Lady of the Lake such an interesting character is that no one really knows who she is. In some stories, she's described as the lover of Merlin, Sometimes their love is mutual, and other times he's simply making advancements towards her, which she does not reciprocate. In other stories, she plays the role of a fairy godmother to the knight Lancelot, after his parents die when he's a very young baby. She's said to have raised him from infancy to the worldly and learned knight that we know today. However, in other stories, she's portrayed as an antagonist to King Arthur and his friends, family, and court. Other times, she's a helpful guardian, and even the one who gifts him his great sword, Excalibur. But for this story, we're going to look into her appearance in Sir Thomas Mallory's Le Mont d'Arthur. Arthur said, I have no sword. No force, said Merlin. Hereby is a sword that shall be yours. They came to a lake, the which was a fair water and broad. And in the midst of the lake was an arm clothed in white samite that held a fair sword in that hand. Lo, said Merlin, yonder is that sword that I spake of. With that, they saw a damsel going upon the lake. What damsel is that? said Arthur. That is the Lady of the Lake, said Merlin. Sir Thomas Mallory, Le Mont d'Arthur, Book 1, Chapter 25 While the story of this mysterious sword continues, so too does the story of the Lady of the Lake. If you're interested in finding out more about the Lady of the Lake, you can head over to my channel and see my latest video, which specifically focuses on the character of the Lady of the Lake throughout all of the different legends and versions of her that appear over time. I want to say a big thank you to Sean again for having me on the channel, it's really nice to be here and to collaborate with some Arthurian legends. But for now, I'll say goodbye, and I'll leave you back in Sean's capable hands. Excalibur is different from Arthur's first sword. A pair of creatures, some say snakes, while others say chimeras, are on its hilt. Symbolized in this new sword, Arthur becomes able to wield chaos and thrive in the unpredictable. When he lifts Excalibur, it shines like diamonds, brighter than dozens of flames. And it is not only the sword that is remarkable, its sheath also bears a protecting charm, suggesting that sometimes patience before action is the right course. It is this sword, Excalibur, that accompanies Arthur in his journeys until the very end. 
And when Arthur's time on Earth does end, the sword takes one last journey. The knight, Sir Bedivere, is tempted to take it for himself, but in the end, returns it to the lake, as the lady's hand rises once more to take it in. Symbolically, this shows that Arthur's power is not hoarded or fought over, but instead returned to its source, presumably so that the next worthy one might come along to claim it. King Arthur's sword shows an ideal of leadership that applies to more than just royalty. The story of the sword and the stone shows Arthur being called to leadership to serve others as he takes the sword for his brother and dedicating his leadership to something higher than himself as he offers it upon the altar when he is crowned. The characteristics of the sword communicate how one ought to address problems head-on and skillfully. And the details of Excalibur show Arthur's ability to control the unknown, with its scabbard signifying the importance of not always rushing into combat. Finally, Sir Bedivere returning the sword to the lake reminds us not to hoard power, but to relinquish it when our time is up. These ideals speak to why Arthurian legend is so timeless. While these stories may seem ancient to us, the principles are as relevant today as ever. And while we have already covered some high spiritual principles in our video on the quest for the Holy Grail, focusing on the practicalities of Arthur's leadership teaches us something more readily applied to everyday life. Taking both aspects of the story together, we can, like Arthur, maintain dedication to something above while serving others in the here and now.